Checking in with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for our first Tacky Talk of November 2023, Tacky. Yeah, happy November, uh, Joe. Uh, it is it is uh, quickly coming to Thanksgiving and Christmas, isn't it? Yes, I thought you might, uh, you know, have your Halloween costume left over for us today. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I did not. I think uh, some of you may know I'm not a big uh, Halloween person, but uh, it was good. Actually, I was leaving Beacon Hill actually late on Halloween, very late. And uh, Beacon Hill was a buzz with kids and pets dressed in a number of different costumes, uh, slowing down traffic as I'm trying to get off, get out of work. I, I probably should have stayed in the office longer to let the... Uh, Halloween uh, passerbyers go and come home. Come home actually much later at night, so uh, not not surprising. I mean, uh, you know, uh, on the hill uh, is residential. People sometimes forget that Beacon Hill is a residential area, and uh, there were people trying to get out and do the Halloween and other stuff um, before the sun got too far down. And uh, I left the office uh, when it was still a little too much light. <laughs> Right in the middle of it, right? <laughs> I've heard stories that the state house is haunted. Have you ever experienced anything? It's Boston. I mean, the place is four hundred years old. I mean, <laughs> the place, the whole city is haunted. I mean, there is a there, uh, there is a ghost tour actually uh, that you can catch at nighttime. Um, I think I'm trying to remember the name. I thought I want to say it's Ghost and Graveyards, but I'm probably wrong. But yeah, uh, you can. There is a trolley tour. Actually, last night I was at a colleague's fundraiser. Um, uh, and I watched uh, Charlie's uh, filling up with his ghost tours. And honestly, that's a great sign, uh, seeing uh, Charlie's being loaded up full of people. It's, it's Tourism is a big part of our economy. Um, it's a number uh, three driver, depending on what year we're talking about. Uh, and it was good to see him go out. And not surprisingly, uh, they were parked uh, just around the corner from the Omni Parker House, which is famous for having... A ghost there, which story again, I don't can't tell you right now. I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head, but right. there's a ghost floating around in one of the rooms there. Neat. Yeah. I mean, people people always think Salem when you think Halloween, but really Boston's got it going on too. <laughs> oh, and like Quincy, we have they also have uh, urban grave sites. You know, the Boston uh, Commons at the far end by Boston Street, you know, has uh, a bunch of graves. Um, mm -hmm. Park Street Station at uh, the Park Street Church. You know, has a grave next to it, including John Hancock and uh, Ben Franklin's parents. Mm -hmm. So uh, not surprising, you know, these old urban cities have uh, grave sites all through uh, the center city, uh, like Quincy does uh, next to City Hall. Um, and, uh, you know, there's always going to be some kind of story that comes off of you know, various buildings regarding you know, this and that and certain people. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, not only that, but now it certainly feels, feels like fall for a change. <laughs> yeah. As I like to say, it was a sat summer Saturday. We had a great time. My mom wanted to do the fire pit barbecue. We talked a little bit about last week and it Saturday was making it happen. And, uh, and it's actually Friday late afternoon was getting everything prepped. And, you know, my mom had a great time with her friends and, you know, I smell like smoke. <laughs> uh, I get the fire pit, everything going, and uh, it rained on Sunday, so I couldn't clean the fire pit. The embers weren't cool enough yet on Saturday, so it uh, started raining Sunday, and I was like, well, guess I'm doing this Thursday, and today is Thursday. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, at least you put the fire out. <laughs> fire out. It's a sunny, according to uh, my ta uh, my uh, computer here, it says that it's a sunny 38 degrees Fahrenheit as I look down on the screen, so... You know, what was a gorgeous 80 degree day, uh, not that long ago, we have uh, sunny 38. 
Yeah, well, it's New England. Just wait a second and it will change. It usually does. <laughs> so it goes back the other way. <laughs> uh, it is heating season, though, of course, and that means uh, folks are going to start to get higher energy bills, unfortunately. Yeah, the price of oil has been all over the board. It's been trying to crack $90 a barrel regularly, and it's really having a struggle getting there. Um, you know, and natural gas has also been somewhat trying to crack higher, and it's actually pretty challenged as we head into the winter season. Massachusetts is becoming less and less an oil-burning home. Homes burn less oil. It's it's just the nature of the changes. A lot of families move to natural gas over time. But that being said, you know, energy costs are still high, and, you know, Quincy, uh, Quincy uh, Community Action Programs, QCAP, and does have a LIHEAP program about this time of year. You meet the income guidelines, so you feel like you're struggling, definitely give QCAP a call to see what qualified low-income housing heating assistance, uh, which can help on uh, paying for oil, uh, in particular for certain households. And then uh, you, you see what the feds are going to come up, because historically the federal government, if they can figure out what they're doing, um, you know, provide some funding for us. And the state has been known to supplement that funding uh, going forward. So uh, it is actually one of those programs that we try to put more money into it, depending how the weather is heading. And then, um, again, I strongly encourage Mass Save uh, to everybody. Again, you know, we can be repeating myself on that one about energy efficiency. Uh, see if you qualify for, let's say, new uh, thermostat. Uh, I have a Google Nest, uh, which ha does actually a great job on regulating the heating system, particularly when we're not home. It knows we're not home and shuts everything off. Um, so, you know, we should really try to look to save energy and you know, check your windows. You know, there'll be drafts. Curtains are important, you know, to do drafts. Um, you're not home, turn it down. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Sunday like this, I mean, you want to you know, check the windows for no drafts and, you know, get more daylight in as opposed to turning on the heating. Right. Yeah. The Mass Save program, I'm curious to see if that's going to kind of get updated in the future to encourage more uh, alternative energies. I know it's pretty still pretty fossil fuel based. Well, actually, the big change you made last year in the climate change bill is to uh, only allow um, heat pump systems as the uh, a heating cooling system replacement as opposed to natural gas. Okay. I have, as you all hear last year, I mean, I have like pros and cons to that. One of the big pros is the, the fact that it is much more efficient. It is much less reliant on fossil fuels. Con is that it is reliant on fossil fuels because you have to, it's completely electric driven. Right. And um, it's expensive. And electrical prices last year you know, spiked over 50% in the winter time for uh, for basic service. And that resulted in you know folks that you know use electricity to, to spend more and heat pumps, you know, is 100% electric driven. Right. So, you know, if you're living in a more wealthier area, you probably would stand the price shock. Uh, but if you didn't, you know, you were in for a massively bad surprise last winter. And this winter is not nearly as bad on basic service. Um, and uh, still, I mean, if it's really bad, you're going to feel it because the price is higher than it had in the summer. Another choice you can do is you can have competitive supply. So you can mm -hmm. search the uh, DPU website uh, to find or DOER website uh, to find uh, competitive suppliers. So this is a state that allows you to choose your electric supplier. And you can lock yourself into contract for X number of years and the price can't change. So, and that's that. So competitive supply, for example, last year's winter uh, was much better priced than you could get against the utility basic service because you were locked in for X number of years. Mm -hmm. And that's that. Now, this is the gamble. 
if let's say oil is running uh, really low, um, you know, your electrical price is going to drop perhaps, you know, 30%. It will go below your contracted price you did with a private energy supplier. Conversely, you know, if any you know, oil rises past, you know, $100 and you're locked in price for a new, new an energy supplier, uh, you will find yourself um, ahead of the game. It's right. basically the law of averages. I think people kind of uh, misconceive that, you know, buying your own energy supply results in always beating so-called the system of basic service utility. It isn't. It's a law of averages. So if you're willing to, over, let's say, three years, accept the fact that you'll win on a long term, mm -hmm. you'll be fine. If you are looking for short-term gains on energy savings by buying uh, competitive supply of power, that's not going to work. And secondly, it allows you to choose your power. So if you have a few extra dollars than some other folks, you know, buy 100% renewable. You absolutely can. 100% renewable energy companies out there, they'll sell you power from renewable sources they, that they own. Um, and it is a bit of a premium, uh, but some people feel that it's worth the premium if they have the money to do so. Right. So those are a few ways you can uh, save some money if you have you qualify for certain programs. LIHEAP at QCAP is where to go. Mass save is available to everybody. And uh, if you're willing to um, make some effort, you can look at competitive energy supplies and electricity to find out uh, what is a plan that works for you. And uh, look at your electric bill. Uh, you can see on the historical numbers for one full year on each of your bills, uh, how much kilowatt hours you use. And since the price is in kilowatt hours, you can kind of do some fast math about how much um, you would be spending on a uh, competitive supply versus the utility. It can, you know, you're willing to put some effort in some calculations. You can kind of get a rough count of what your price would be uh, trying to project out a future future spending. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of how utilities buy their, buy their power. They do it the same way, a much more sophisticated system, but, but you can do it too. Absolutely. Uh, you can do a, um, the utility, you know, buys your bulk every six months by law that to take the best price available and um, every part based service, that's it. And uh, as we know, Quincy's trying to do municipal aggregation, which is being still yeah. the EPU's administrative hearing process, which is did not know what the problem is. Um, so don't, I've advocated to try to get BDP to more quickly respond to what the problems are, but something is wrong. If they're taking this long, I can't tell what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that being said, I mean, municipal aggregate is an opt-out system, meaning you automatically end unless you opt on out. And again, it's also timing, right? If you have a municipal uh, aggregate rate, um, well, last winter, uh, the competitive price market would not be as favorable as it could be this winter um, versus maybe next March. And you're locked in. And the reason it's an opt-out, not an opt-in system, because when they put the bids in, they want to demonstrate they have you know, 100,000 residents or maybe about 55,000 homes. Um, uh, well, well, I'm counting the apartments and the condos, but, you know, you, you get, you know, you have to show that you have sufficient customer base to justify a good bid cost versus a smaller community, which may be more challenged the number of customers. So the bids may not be nearly as attractive. And like Boston has a wonderful municipal aggregate because it's a, it's a 70,000 person city. So as a result, they get very favorable bids. Um, so, I mean, the cities, uh, again, if you're doing competitive supply versus basic service versus municipal aggregate, if the city gets municipal aggregate, you now can compare price between the city's municipal, the basic service provided by the utility, and also mm -hmm. third supply that you could choose on your own. Mm -hmm. 
But again, it's some math. You actually have to get your calculator out. You can't just like instinctively decide this makes sense. And then, you know, a final warning is that the door-to-door salesmen, so to speak, of the electrical suppliers are rolling around again, particularly in communities that are low income and, and none of their speaking. And I've been working to try to figure out how to weed them out at the legislature uh, by creating new barriers of entry and other ways to try to create some accountability. You know, uh, don't don't sign anything. <laughs> Lawyering number one, don't sign anything, as I like to tell all clients. Do not sign anything until you talk to somebody uh, that knows a little more than you do about what's going on. Yeah, you don't need to show them your utility bill when they come to your door. Don't do that. Just 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 say no. <laughs> just say no. And uh, and then you just collect the paper and you can evaluate a different day. There is no rush to change your energy supplier. I mean, there is literally no rush. Um, so, you know, that's a warning. You know, come to the door. You know, definitely collect the paper, smile, and, you know, tell you to think about it. Right, exactly. I think maybe the DPU is too busy dealing with the MBTA tacking. That's that's why they can't take on municipal aggregation. Again, I've had consternations about the DPU chair, the last couple of governors uh, who feel that their job is to green fight the world as opposed to thinking about customers and doing their entire job. Uh, transportation safety has been part of DPU as long as I can remember. And, uh, you know, as again, I point back out to the Fungwa buses, as soon as there was probably one bus that came in there and actually shut down the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so it isn't like they don't know how to do their jobs. They just choose not to do their jobs. And they're actually quite frustrated about that. Um, my attitude is that, you know, you got a job, do your job. If it isn't part of your job, obviously somebody else got to do it. Right, Exactly. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the uh, the migrant crisis here in Massachusetts? And uh, just yesterday, the uh, court ruling uh, in favor of the Healy administration uh, imposing a cap, I guess, on the number of families that can be included in that system. Yeah. In summary, we have a 1983 law in the books that creates a right to shelter for vulnerable populations, persons with uh, vulnerable populations, especially women, single women, families, uh, domestic violence victims, you know, certain conditions that are usually high vulnerability, and they have nowhere else to go. That's part of it as well. They have no capacity to go anywhere else, meaning they don't have a funding source or or anything like that. So we have weather right to shelter law, which is um, the state has to provide you temporary shelter as they work towards a permanent solution regarding your emergency. And again, it's, it's very vulnerable populations, which also includes refugees because they have nowhere else to go. They're, they're here. There's, I mean, this case is the temporary migrants, which are essentially refugees. So they, they literally have nowhere to run back to. The domestic violence victim, same thing. You have nowhere else to run back to, unfortunately. So as a result, you know, as you all know, we have the Welcome Center in Quincy, which, you know, is about seven, give or take a few days, people passing through Quincy and on the way to a emergency shelter. And, uh, you know, we're using hotels like MAD. This is not the first time this has happened. We've never happened in this volume. This has happened in the 08 financial crisis, well, it actually lasted well into five years where we were using temporary shelters as hotels and it was a huge cost to the legislature, a huge cost to U.S. taxpayers during 08 to about 015 to 15-ish, give it, you know, and then we started, uh, the legislature pushed heavily to get the uh, Patrick administration to move away from um, using hotels, emergency shelter, and working towards more uh, permanent solutions. And the Baker administration did continue, the Patrick administration worked on that. None of us could have ever seen uh, this type of situation regarding the, the migrant crisis 
And as a result, we have insufficient funding to house as many. We're also running out of space in general. So the Healing Administration uh, asked the judge to allow them to cap cap the number of people that can receive assistance all across the board. Uh, and the argument is that they're out of money. And uh, the uh, housing advocates uh, rejected idea because that you can't suspend the law without the approval of the legislature for the lack of a better term. Judge Rood inside of the governor's office that even though that the legislature does decide how laws should be written, uh, the inability to comply with the law as a result of funding, uh, non-funding non uh, in, in terms of like, you know, just running out of money, the legislature has not approved more money, uh, allows the governor to make a reasonable approach to uh, meet the letter of the law, but also meet the uh, limits that the legislature has created by the funding mechanism. So the governor is going to definitely uh, limit the number of folks that can get uh, shelter programs. And uh, the legislature is still pondering over her one-time $250 million request from moving money from various uh, trust funds uh, and retained revenue accounts um, you know, to try to give her a little bit of a backstop. And the feds, again, are not been helpful, as we've expected from the federal government. Um, uh, for the most part, except for the little gap during COVID when they kind of were a little nutty on the amount of money they were spending. Um, now that we have crises created by them, and I like to say over and over again, this is a humanitarian crisis, but they keep treating it like a security issue. And uh, right hand and left hand don't know what you're doing on the federal level. And the inability for the executive branch and the legislative branch and, and Congress, you know, down in D.C. is able to, and they just not able to create an uh, intelligent response to the matter. Or any matter right now, for that matter, <laughs> they can't even agree on uh, um, aid for for Ukraine and Israel. Well, and also the government's got to shut down in November seventeen. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that little detail. I mean, the feds will shut down November seventeen. So for essential personnel, which is going to get paid, not paid, essential personnel would not be paid um, to keep working uh, at the federal level. So. You know, it's it's uh, again, it's like a reoccurring theme with the federal government. You know, we're, we're playing uh, roulette uh, against uh, the public. You know, that that rely on government services as well as state, counties, and municipal governments around the U.S. that rely on reimbursement and support for services depending on the state, county, and municipality you're in in the United States, and also the territories, which is actually controlled by the federal government. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, there are mess. You know, uh, it's uh, 15 days or so to uh, government shutdown opportunity. Uh, there are a number of hot spots uh, that the U.S. historically has um, been supporters of and also playing deterrent in some areas um, and uh, just general operations of the House. I mean, it, you know, you got to get a leadership team in place. Um, but then again, I mean, one person can, you know, in a majority party can oust the speaker um, you know, create no confidence and start this process over again. And, you know, it doesn't matter who the speaker is uh, in the Republican Party. It's still four, four votes will completely derail a, a project. And uh, they uh, have no interest of asking uh, or compromising with the Democratic Party uh, to make something happen um, because they can't get their house in order. They have limited options of what they can do. Uh, and uh, remember, Nancy Pelosi only had four votes, too. And uh, she did not have a situation she was being held hostage. 
um, yeah. by a very small number of Democrats. Um, again, the difference of styles. We are not a monolithic party. There is a lot of diversity of opposing views and geographic uh, interests in parties. I talk about this all the time here. The legislature is not a monolith. And uh, at least, you know, skillful leadership will allow you to, you know, try to find common ground and great diversity of your, of your political caucus. The Republicans, frightfully, is unable to reach a compromise among themselves. Yeah. They agree or disagree with their position. Decisions need to be made and things have to move forward. You know, whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't matter. But stagnation is unacceptable. Right. Yeah. It's, I can't help. I know we talked about this before. I can't help but think what John Adams would think. We just celebrated his 288th birthday anniversary earlier this week. Well, I mean, the founding fathers wanted lively debate. They didn't want a legislature that would make snap decisions and rush to things. They wanted a balance against a potential tyranny of an executive branch. Right. And they wanted as much power in the hands of people through representation. Hence, it's a republic, not a mob. Was it what Adam say decisions by mobs? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, that kind of democracy, you elect folks to try to represent your interests. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, those interests don't align yours completely because they need to get something. Uh, it's not really unfortunate, but it's just a reality. I mean, they need mm-hmm. to get something for you, but they're going to have to make some compromise to get what you need for you at home. Uh, or represent the interest of your constituency, they need to compromise with other folks who are not sharing interest, and that's the point of a republic. Um, so, uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's at this no. point exhausting watching down in D.C., just just the inability to, to get their act together. And, 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 I mean, now you get to see the difference between two leadership styles of two different political parties. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's... Like I said, Nancy Pelosi, I know she gets maligned by folks because, you know, easy targets, us politicians are fun to beat up. But there was no stagnation. That's right. Yeah. She was able to lead, you know, as, as it was her job and then pull pull the party together. Yes. And that's part of leading. You, know, you got to be able to pull diverse groups together and uh, get them on the same page. And that involves, you know, conversation and compromise. And Yeah. Putting your own interests aside. And your word is your bond. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of this gig. You know, it's not like we sign a long, complicated contract when we agree to a deal. I mean, this right. is a handshake and a promise and the word. And uh, in the case of you know, the Republican Party down in D.C., they're unable to even uh, compromise. Um, and the conversations are apparently pretty rough based on the uh, news reports. And, um, you know, your handshake is your bond and a lot of question marks with certain members down there. And, of course, you got interest in your districts. I mean, you know, you got about 20 plus uh, individuals in the Republican Party down there that have districts that, you know, went Biden. And uh, they're heavily scrutinizing their Republican representative on whether or not mm-hmm. they should flip to Democrat, uh, given what's going on. And if, you know, you're the one that goes back home and says, well, you know, you can't get a speaker, it's leadership's problem, but you're in the majority party. It doesn't sell well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. As um, Kevin McCarthy found out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Kevin McCarthy. I think Kevin McCarthy will run for re-election next year. I think he. Uh, my opinion is that he'll kind of bite it out again uh, and wait to see how a continuous vote is caucus. And you know, he maybe he'll return. This is a gig that allows you to come back from the dead. Uh, and he's, uh, I believe, in his eighth term, perhaps. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah, uh, I think Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi will stick around one more term. I think she'll one more term. Interesting. Um, yeah, the in DC politics, uh, you know, all the ha- happenings now 
you know, will ripple into next year. Uh, mm-hmm. Right about this time of year, you start looking for uh, candidates on both political parties to run against the incumbent. And in also in both parties' case, people who want to challenge incumbent in a Democratic or Republican primary mm-hmm. will be speaking of the opportunity right now. They'll be looking now uh, to see uh, if they can garner support at the local level to run for Congress. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're smart politics, you keep ears to the ground to find out what's going on. And uh, in their case, you know, this is actually right about this time of year that uh, a local person will start contemplating uh, whether to run against their local uh, congressman or their U.S. senator. Right. And uh, Speaking they- of, um, I'm, as we're on the topic, I know that today, um, Tacky, November 2nd, uh, 2023, is the 13th anniversary of you and uh, David Wong becoming the first uh, Asian Americans to be elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives. That Donald Wong, that David. Uh, Donald Wong, pardon me, yes. Yeah, that, that was a few years ahead of me in age. Uh, no, thank you very much, uh, Joe. Uh, uh, <laughs> God, it's been 13 years. And it was an early November election, too. There was a very short span between uh, primary day, which I think was like the, was deep. I think it was like the 14th. Okay. Uh, and um, and election day, it was really a snap to the end. But uh, no, thank you very much uh, for reminding people of that. And, uh, you know, I always try to work hard. I don't make too much of it. But you remember, you know, at the time, there was a question whether Asians were elected and never thought there was one in the House. I remember. And uh, the media had to go check with the clerk who had to check the historical records to show that it took uh, centuries, essentially, uh, to have uh, ele- Asian elected to the Mass House of Representatives. And Donald Wong and I are very proud to have uh, pioneered the way, uh, unintentionally, actually. But I think this was not an objective. And um, also our good friend, Paul Schmidt, whose mother is part Chinese, um, you know, from Westport that we found out later on during the session. So... The Asian caucus is uh, seven persons now strong. At a time, we had nobody uh, mm. over 15 years ago. And you know, trying to do good work. Um, and I'm, you know, chair of the House Asian caucus for now. Uh, on top of my chairmanship as consumer protection and professional chair, on top of sitting on the Massachusetts Beach Commission, you know, on top of, you know, all the other things I got to do, uh, you know, at the various local level. Yes, uh, yeah. Speaking of, the commission met earlier this week, I think, didn't they? We did. We did have an aero meeting. We did have it in person to Stales for the first time since before COVID. We had Commissioner uh, Rigero of DCR come by. We had Boston's environmental client person come by. And some of the different advocacy groups and the commission uh, took some testimony, mostly written. People didn't really come to testify in person, but written testimony uh, about their thoughts about the beaches. Um, it's actually been a pretty good program overall throughout the entire beach system. Save the Harbor Save the Bay has been a wonderful partner. A lot of kudos to Bruce Berman, who we've known for a very long time. Me and Bruce were talking like, oh my God, we've known Joe forever now. And, uh, you know, with their support and help, you know, it's uh, with groups like Friends of Walson Beach and you know, all up and down, um, we're able to, you know, provide more programs, you know, give good advice to, uh, the DCR and um, to make sure the beaches are accessible and act, uh, active for all. And um, and also most recently, you know, we discovered linguistic access and um, access for persons uh, who are physically challenged uh, to have greater access. And, you know, DCR has been working with us and trying to come up more ways, whether it be you know, looking at the you know, stairs and sidewalks of various beaches, you know, what capital improvements can be there. Um, you know, we have um, different types of uh, wheelchair ability regarding sand, 
Um, but it also requires staffing and money from DCR. And you know, Beach Commissions has a little bit of money in the budget. I think it's about $600,000 to address all the beach issues through community groups. And that's been a big deal. So, you know, much much thanks to my fellow commissioners of the ECR and uh, Friends of Walston Beach, especially down here, you know, on all the hard work they do. And the two yacht clubs, Swanham and Walston, you know, very participatory regarding uh, beach access. Yeah, and it's it's a big draw for, for especially new people coming to Quincy that uh, number one, one of the number one things they cite is the access to the shore. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, obviously, I take it for granted. I've lived close to water my whole life. Uh, but yeah, you know, beach access is a big uh, attraction. Uh, you don't need to have beachfront property in Quincy. You can, you know, pretty much for Hancock Street, for example, you can walk there in about 15, 20 mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, so it's very actually very train accessible. People forget that. Yep. Uh, get off of Walston Station, you, you can just walk straight down. Yeah, um, parking is free there too. So yeah. Yeah, you can just walk on down from Walston. Um, during the really hot days, I remember people were actually walking off the train to Walston Station. I'll be sure. <laughs> it was too hot on the train because the air conditioning wasn't working. <laughs> uh, that's not, yeah, that's that's fair. That is fair. <laughs> um, but I mean, this year obviously was a little bit tougher because of the rain. Uh, it yeah. just wouldn't end. Um, and of course, water quality is tied to rain. People don't realize yeah. that uh, high. Uh, rain and uh, our drains go to the beach so don't dump stuff into the drains uh, that will pollute the beach um, you know reside in you know higher bacterial counts of you know water that just flushing out the system uh, for lack of a term out of the brooks and rivers um so you know a combination of you know the weather plus you know higher bacteria counts made it a little tougher to use the water let's talk a little about the uh, economy as expected the feds uh, left interest rates alone yesterday techie yeah, I was talking to some folks, uh, actually asked about interest rates at the state house and, you know, what about their future plans and property? And I told people, if you want to sell stuff, it's time to sit tight still. I mean, even though Fed's left the rate stagnant, you know, the market in terms of the banks and bonds and bond trading and all that, and, and the banks trying to refinance their deposits to make sure deposits stop fleeing, you know, it's kind of taking care of itself for the moment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, even the Fed's in- increased the uh, the rate. I don't think it was going to be a massive impact uh, on the economy because you know, people are now living between six point five and nine percent loans. Um, it wasn't that long ago they were close to the three and four percent, and sometimes lower. It was very competitive marketing. People's deposits were staying in the bank because there was really no good alternative out there in CDs and bonds, which is available today in other banks um, and uh, you know with the Feds. So. Um, will they write high rate again? I think it's a possibility they may do this in, in January at this point. I mean, GDP number came in a hot 4.9 against a 4.2 estimate. Uh, to put it in perspective, the U.S. economy is very healthy when it's around 2 to 3% GDP. Um, that's a good steady state for a very mature, large service base. 70% of our economy is service-based um, to be around between 2 and 3% uh, GDP. So the economy is very hot and very strong. And unemployment numbers, I expect on Friday, will show that it's going to be pretty stagnant. It's going to be about 3.7 to 3.9. Uh, if it cracks 4%, I'm going to be shocked, which means it's almost 100% uh, employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, unemployment numbers, when the state's steady, means that people get on and off on a near equal rate. And so that's basically maximum employment, where you don't have uh, a spike uh, in employment and it can, keeps moving up. You know, when it's a flat number for several months, it means it's an equal number of people getting on and off, meaning there's sufficient jobs. And 
the Jones uh, number, the number of how many unemployment uh, open is still far exceeds the number of people on unemployment. So job openings exceed unemployment and the workforce number. So until employers you know, continue to try to find new efficiencies so they can reduce or not add to their workforce, you know, it, it's it's pretty crazy economy. And wage growth has slowed, which is good. A lot of your prices in stores actually know wage growth, not um, uh, fuel costs or you know, other inflationary matters. So, you know, we see what core PC looks like, which is you know, uh, prices uh, out housing and energy. We'll see what that's going to come in uh, from October, and it gives a little bit of a clue. But you know, four point nine GDP—that's very, very, very strong economy. And um, you know, mo- uh, Europe is technically in a weird recessionary state. The British are still kind of struggling. The Australians are struggling. The Japanese are strong. The Koreans are a little bit of a stagnation situation, and, and the Chinese is really like a mess right now in terms of their economy. The very schizophrenic, schizophrenic data data coming out of there. The key one is manufacturing is down in China, and they're a huge exporter of manufacturing, which means the rest of the world isn't capable of taking their goods. Um, they just don't. They just can't pay for it. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so we've talked about it many, many times. It's just it's out of whack with what you would expect the economy to be doing right now, um, given the current state of the interest rates. Yeah, and the stock market reflects the kind of schizophrenia. I mean, people. Uh, you know, the goal is not to lose money, right? If you hire a financial a financial person or your hedge fund manager or mutual fund manager, the goal is to mm-hmm. make money for your uh, clients, not to lose money. And I think there's a lot of constant shuffling around on, on these big hedge funds and brokers trying to figure out how to preserve their client funds uh, because that fiduciary responsibility not to lose the client's money. Right. That's the job. And I think there's a lot of shuffling around as they're trying to figure out what I refer to as flight to safety, where can they, you know, try to not take a loss um, in the markets, whether it be you know bonds or or the stock market itself. And I, I think that's what's driving this volatility. Partly, I don't think it's the whole thing. I think it's also partly the reason that the market, you know, was completely destroyed through October. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now they're coming back up, and there's a shift again. I mean, there was people hated. Uh, for a while, banks and they still do. Uh, but there's also like this weird thing about cyclers, you know, like consumer goods, right? People cereal moves in a cycle. It's not like this this steady state. Yeah. So, you know, every few days it seems like you know there's a flight to different companies and earnings are down on the big corporate picture. It looks like it's not beating last year's numbers in terms of total corporate earnings, which. You know, again, affects we'll see how it affects employment and the UAW strike is, seems to be coming close, and uh, those increased wages are going to be reflected in um, the big threes uh, future price structure regarding uh, car manufacturing, yeah, uh, and uh, perhaps they're able to, you know, find other efficiencies to keep the price down, but this puts the big three at a couple of different spot versus non-union shops such as Tesla, which is the biggest car, uh, electric car uh, purchased by U.S. people. I mean, the United States is the single the biggest market for them. It's not mm-hmm. China. And uh, the big three and other foreign cars are still working towards electric vehicles. Um, and there's been a report electric vehicle purchases have definitely slowed down. Um, the credits the Fed's uh, put together uh, has reached saturation uh, in the market. And uh, car loans, again, I said earlier, you know, it can be up to 6.5 to 9%. And uh, consumers are 
gonna like any situation where everything gets expensive is gonna stretch what they have longer. Definitely, I, I'm, I'm driving mine until there's nothing left but wheels and a steering wheel. <laughs> you, you and me both. Uh, <laughs> although we do live near the water, so the body will die long before the engine will. I know. That's <laughs> all. That salt water kills bodies, uh, car bodies, faster than it kills uh, the engine, uh, which has happened with two of my cars already. Yeah. First. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I see uh, uh, folks, particularly on big purchases, I'm going to try and make things last longer. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of driving, we talked a little bit about a, uh, a bill proposed that would allow some communities to install red light traffic cameras. Yeah, this is uh, not a new idea. It's been used in other states and around the world regarding uh, trying to do enforcement on red light crossings, basically to put cameras up across a red light. At least they can grab your plate and, you know, try to identify you are on a traffic violation. Crossing red lights are really dangerous. I think that should be common sense. I understand the whole trying to beat the light when it turns yellow and you're like already committed. But generally there's enough time between the two lights that you got about a, a half a second before they swap over. It isn't instantaneous. So, I mean, you know, everybody, I will probably gamble has been on that like edge of like a foot and turns yellow and you're already overcommitted. Slamming your brakes will result in someone slamming into you. So you're better off just getting through there and, you know, basically going to gamble. But the reality is that a fraction of a second between the two lights changing. It's it's really people with a straight up red light and just cross right through. Right. Mean, but the challenge of this particular technology is that, you know, you cite the driver, not the vehicle. So where they can put a plate and maybe they can see you uh, in the car, depending on how they angle it in the sun and everything else. You know, uh, you know, the idea is to try to create traffic safety. Uh, even the cameras there to deter people from trying to not necessarily just beat the light, but also just cross it and discriminate. I mean, I think all of us have seen people just freaking just, just do it. They just, light's been red for a while and they just, go and i mean it's not even like you know a 2 a.m situation where there's nothing on the street and you're like oh, might as well i mean you know i've seen this done in quincy and other places in like yes. 4 p.m i mean you know on a saturday it, where it's busy i'm like what's going on here um so you know it's also constant you know considered deterrent but it's a far from perfect solution again it's about citing the driver not the car yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I know it's been proposed before. I guess this current proposal would only allow the back of the car to be photographed uh, to avoid any kind of uh, racial profiling, I think. Yeah, but the car isn't driving itself. Right. Maybe someday. But then again, when they do someday in large quantities, they will not cross red lights. Yeah. That's, well, that was my other question is what, what if the, the driverless car malfunctions? <laughs> Who pays that ticket? Well, there's actually a very tragic case in California. Uh, where the DMV has uh, suspended the auto driving car uh, uh, brand Cruise uh, from operating because of a very tragic accident where it, uh, uh, I was at a meeting with technology guys um, last week and uh, the, guy, the news media didn't get the rest of the story cor correctly. So one of the other uh, self-driving cars, Weeble, uh, was there and they actually knew the rest of the story. And uh, it is true uh, in California, the cruise company did not release all the footage uh, to DMV as part of the investigation. Uh, these cars are radar plus cameras, plus a supercomputer, plus laser guidance. I mean, it's, it's full tech. Um, and what sadly, very sadly happened is a car did hit a pedestrian 
a pedestrian flew in front of the self-driving car. The self-driving car did hit that pedestrian a second time, but as opposed to stopping flat, like you slam your brakes, the car decided it was a safety problem and decided to drive another 20 feet to slow down the car safely, but drag it, drag the poor victim another 20 feet underneath it. I had not heard that. Yeah, the AI, the AI did not make a proper decision because uh, it is an AI system. Uh, so the artificial intelligence made the decision that this was a tra car safety error. So we will bring us to a slow stop as opposed to just slamming the brakes. You know, we hit something. My goodness. Okay. So it's not, it has not been perfected, obviously. But there's been other, yeah, there've been other incidents years ago, uh, many years ago now regarding things like the color white and mm. problems identifying reflective surfaces that have problems reading certain types of signs. Uh, obviously technology has advanced uh, since those instances, like they had yeah. a legit real problem seeing white things. Well, that could be a problem in a snowstorm around here. Well, actually, yeah, that's true. I mean, I talked to a guy from Minnesota, a center from Minnesota, who basically has dedicated like eight years of his life to electric vehicles. And uh, he said, you know, there's no lines on the street in Minnesota when it snows, and it takes a long time to get it plowed. So an autonomous vehicle is sitting a, a sheet of white. Uh, humans that drive the roads long enough can, you know, kind of figure out where the lines are. You do it long enough. All of us are driven in conditions where you know you stay to the right of the road and you know, have some ideas of where you're supposed to be. But, you know, Thomas Vehicle could find itself driving, you know, way off the road. Um, and, you know, we would know because the roads, the, the feeling of the road changes when you're driving, right? You, you would know. So, you know, about some better visuals, you know, autonomous vehicles could have some challenges. In urban areas, a little bit different. It sees cars, streets, roads, traffic lights, you know, buildings. I mean, you know, all the other things. But autonomous cars are going to be here and actually do look quite forward to it, to the idea that, you know, I, I don't have to drive and it'll be, you know, you may not need to own a car. Maybe you just have to uh, pay as used, uh, which would actually be affordable for everybody if you don't need to have a car full time. And you basically, you know, sufficient automated vehicles and you basically rent the car by app for X number of time, X number yeah. of hours destination and a pay per destination. You know, that will relieve traffic because the cars will move in sequence so there's no traffic jams um, because traffic jams are human problems, not a computer problem, hopefully. And it also takes some pressure off the um, public transit and uh, also good for the environment because it's destination, destination, most efficient manner possible. Yeah, interesting. I don't know if that'll happen in our lifetime, but maybe yours, not mine. <laughs> I think you'll see it in your lifetime. Really? Yeah, hmm. I really do. I, 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 yeah, no, I really do. I do think that uh, this is the objective of rideshare companies to move away from autonomous vehicles. I do think that companies like Tesla and the other big uh, technology companies and car manufacturers are, are, are moving us that direction. Um, there's other questions, for example, like the instance I described in California about insurance, right? We talked about that. You know, mm -hmm. so you are not the driver, cars are automated. You know, how do you insure those cars? Mm -hmm. Because things can still happen, whether you know, perhaps, you know, maybe the tire blows out, um, a different type of malfunction. Um, the malfunction is not always like driving into something, you know, tire blows out or perhaps the engine stalls, um, which is a legit human issue. And I'm human issue, legit weather related issue, car battery has a problem, mm -hmm. you know, they're not flawless. So, I mean, what is the, uh, who covers those insurance costs if God forbid someone's injured or, you know, this property 
Right, right, right. And then there's the whole issue of what about the revenue from the excise tax and the gas tax? And, you know, that'll have to be made up, I'm sure, in some way, determining who owns these vehicles. Electric vehicles is murdering the gas tax. Gas tax collection has been in decline relative to CPI since the 70s. Um, the combination of cars being more than twice as efficient than they were 40 years ago, plus uh, advent of electric and hybrid vehicles has resulted in less gas, less gas sales compared to CPI. So it hasn't, you know, hasn't kept up with the price of inflation, especially the last couple of years, especially mm-hmm. in COVID when nobody drove for a while. Right. Yeah. And uh, as a result, you know, that all goes to cities and roads. So Detroit's the legislature and the federal government has to make is just jack up the, the gas tax even more. Uh, but it'll be really subsidizing electric vehicle drivers. So the thing that feds, and this really is a fed problem, as much as people think it's a state issue, you know, and I, I found this very distasteful a dozen years ago, but now less so as time has changed, you know, is vehicle mileage tax. You get, you you pay for distance, not pay for uh, gasoline in terms of vehicle usage. Mm-hmm. So if you use a vehicle much, your tires are not ripping up the roads as much, so you pay less. If you drive a lot, you know, you're actually using more pavement, for lack of a better term. Uh, so you should pay more. And it needs to be a federal solution because the states, if you try to do it here, where, you know, Massachusetts is a state where everyone lives in a border. Yeah, there's people from Rhode Island drive up here. Oh, all the time. Yeah. So the car our registration is useless because they're not registered in Massachusetts. So there's no way Massachusetts is going to collect it. Gas tax, they'll be driving through Massachusetts. At some point, perhaps, you need to you know, fill your car up with gas coming from Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Connecticut, New York, and Vermont. And uh, you're able, you know, you have to pay us tax via the gas tax. But the driving vehicle does not require gas. You know, we lose out of that money by using basically our roads for free. So... You know, vote, you know, an opportunity to pay us back. So, but it needs a Fed solution because of car registration. People start doing the border side car registration to avoid the Massachusetts vehicle mileage tax and things like that. It, it, the advocates, I understand what they're saying. And again, I hated this issue a dozen years ago, but now times have changed. Mm. Um, and, uh, but it isn't a simple state solution. It needs a Fed component. All right. Well, that'll that might take a while. It might take longer than an autonomous vehicle for them to figure that out. <laughs> I think it's a saturation issue. At a certain point, there's going to be a saturation of electric vehicles, and the gas tax revenues is going to plummet at yeah. the level so poorly that you know it, it, you really left you very little choices. And I know there's studies going around at the Fed level and state levels about this program and. It's going to have to happen one day, but the feds need to initiate it so that there's a mechanism for us to address cross-state cross travel. Hmm. Um, any discussion at the state house yet about the governor's uh, housing bill, Tacky? Nope. No? It's, okay. It's been fairly quiet. Our, uh, our good friend, Jenna Saro, is the house chair, um, and, and he just got the bill two weeks ago, so he's got to schedule a public hearing um, at some point, and... Um, you know, see what's going on. I, I know, uh, actually, I talked to, Sen- well, I think I mentioned I talked to Senator Ed Augustus, well, Secretary Ed Augustus now. Um, and you know, a very important part of that is uh, housing development. How can we create incentives for more development housing um, in general, uh, but especially in dense urban, and um, also uh, looking at the housing authorities. Um, right. Me and the secretary did talk about the fact that you know reporting housing authority uh, vacancy is a little bit deceptive. It, it's not always a vacancy uh, caused by the housing authority not putting somebody in there. It's actually caused by negligent, uh, 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 negligent uh, neglecting 
um, maintaining properties as opposed to try to maintain the, the property due to housing livable standards. They just shut down because they have, may not have sufficient resources. Right. Yeah. It's actually here here in Quincy. It's it's the opposite. Uh, they're they're turning into their own development corporation and building new housing for the first time in a long, long time. Yeah, Jim Marath has uh, really uh, come up with a lot of innovative and a bunch of different ways to address housing issues. And yeah. he has, uh, you know, really put the foot down regarding uh, tenant compliance as a landlord, uh, as well as, uh, you know, trying to make sure that they all meet code for the units. And also, you know, put in new heating and cooling systems, which again, creates more efficiency on electrical usage. So, I mean, they were using ancient boilers that were shared through the building, which means not everybody got hot water when they wanted it. Right. And they shifted to uh, smaller um, boilers and heating systems and individual units, which is actually significantly more efficient mm-hmm. uh, in terms of energy usage and also ensure that, you know, senior citizens get hot water and cooling on demand as opposed to kind of sharing a central unit built in like the 70s. So. You know, Jim has done something that should have been done, quite frankly, in, in the early 2000s, is to bring them right to the 21st century technology. And current technology will last decades yep. uh, and will be efficient for decades. Yep. So uh, look forward to see what else uh, they come up with. Uh, we got to go. I just looked at the clock. I'm like, wow, that was fast, Jackie. <laughs> hey, you know, it's always a, a, a great time talking to you. So, I mean, time moves quickly when you're having fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, as always, uh, how do folks get a hold of you? Well, we're in the office, room 42. I've actually uh, readjusted my schedule to uh, spend more time there. I discovered good mental health for me is actually not being at home. So, <laughs> yeah, things, again, living in a post-COVID world, I, mean, I got to be in the office where I got to get out of the house. Uh, so, yeah, room 42 at Estate House, uh, 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370 is the main number. Smash a button, get to one of us in the office. Um, you have uh, email, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y dot C-H-A-N, mahouse.gov. I do read my emails. Can't claim I remember every single one. I do read hundreds sometimes well until 100 a day. Um, but I do read them all. We do log them into our system and we do constituent services first. And uh, I've received some colorful ones. So we'll leave it at that. Um, you know, I obviously have the state representative Facebook account. You can see my comings and goings. People like pictures of families. So we're trying to increase my picture count. Uh, you know, we have at Attacky Chan on X. Um, you know, we do a lot of sharing and, and cross posts with other colleagues in the state government. Uh, and of course, we have the ME Legislature website. You can look at your bills there. You can look it up yourself. You can also look at past hearings and future hearings. Um, and then we have uh, techchat.org, which is a resource page. We need some updates. Uh, we're constantly updating that. And of course, you know, here at QATV and Joe on your favorite podcast app or uh, YouTube or, you know, on cable access uh, television. So remember to check with Joe every morning on his. Uh, 10 minute or less news stories on what's going on in Quincy. Thank you for that much, Jackie. Appreciate the little plug and uh, appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you again. Happy uh, 13th anniversary. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you. And I'll, uh, I'll see you in a week's time.